Welcome to HeCast, the official podcast of He Changed It. My name is Mike Chisholm. I am your host of HeCast. Uh, always excited to do these things. It is one of the, my favorite um it's one of my favorite things in my life is hosting this podcast. I love it so much. And after the few dozen that we've put out, uh, I just feel like they're getting better and better. And uh, if you haven't, as of yet, downloaded the He Changed It app, please go ahead and do that. If you haven't shared and subscribed and all that stuff, please do that as well, because we love giving you this content and we want to spread the word. So if you could do that, that would be awesome. Today, we have uh, a phenomenal guest. We always have phenomenal guests. This one here is close to my heart because he has written one of my favorite books all time. And uh, this is one of those guys. It's not just, he's not just a writer that will, um, you know, delight your brain when you, when you read his stuff, he's a guy that actually is accessible. He's one of those guys. Have you ever read a book where you get so excited after you finish reading the book that you just like want to talk to the author? Okay. Well, I did that. Um, as, as the viewers and listeners know, I'm a gigantic David Letterman fan. Most podcasts, uh, more podcasts than not, his name comes up. Um, and uh, um, this guy that I'm, we're about to have a really cool conversation with uh, has written one of my very favorite books about David Letterman. It's called the last days of, of uh, the last days of Letterman. And um, as soon as I finished reading that book, I was so excited and I reached out to him and within 24 hours, he reached back out to me and we've had this dynamic. We've had conversations before you can go on YouTube and, and you see a conversation that he and I had about that book. It was really, really cool. Maybe we'll link that up uh, after the fact, but Scott and I have kind of just stayed kind of buddies. That's the way I'd like to say it. I'd like to say buddies. I don't know if he would or not, but um, and today we're going to talk because I love his story and his story is inspiring. It's inspiring to me. It's inspiring to, to people who understand, um, you know, what it means to chase a passion that might be a little bit outside of the box and, and become something uh, that you might not have uh, been on track to become just by taking that step. He's good. At, he's, he's, he's got a beautiful, beautiful example of that. Um, he wasn't always a writer. And uh, I want to talk about that. He's got this amazing mindset when it comes to kindness. I want to talk to him about that. And the, the last thing is he's got a new book, which I have just finished. And it's about the TV show Moonlighting. And I want to talk a lot about that as well. So we got a we got a, a an action packed episode. If you like if you like any of those things, even if you don't like those things, I promise you by the end of it you will because uh, our guest today is that damn good. Scott Ryan, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to add HeCast to what I must assume is a, a plethora of places that you're about to start promoting your new book. Thank you for having me. Um, I don't know if you want to be my buddy. I feel like you probably want to stay pal because <laughs> okay. I'm in the process of selling my house and a buddy <laughs> gets the other end of the couch. So right. in a month from now, you want to be my buddy because I'm not moving. If but there wasn't the geographical the of moving, I'd stay a pal. <laughs> if 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 I, I will tell you this, Scott, honestly, if the geographical and uh, uh, COVID-19 related uh, challenges uh, were not um, barriers to us, I would most definitely be that guy. I would be the guy who would come by and take the other end of the couch. Uh, I would let other people take the piano and I would laugh at them. 
but but hey i got the piano (laughs) laugh it up but i play the piano as well but luckily it's a keyboard but listen a buddy doesn't let geographics get in a way a buddy doesn't care about covid well buddy puts double masks on that's that's a buddy That's true, but we do have the 49th parallel to because you're 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 uh, you're in the you're, are you in the Midwest? You're in the Midwest. Right? I'm in the Midwest. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Oh yeah, okay. So, so um, you know, and uh, and one day, and we've talked about this. One of the one of the, the 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 projects that that Scott has worked on tirelessly and with his entire heart and soul is he's a big Twin Peaks guy, and he has gone beyond just being a fan of Twin Peaks. He's actually um, a leader of the fans of Twin Peaks and the publications. You're still doing the Blue Rose, right? Yes, we are taking a year off for the Blue Rose. We had an issue just come out in February, but I had a lot on my plate this year. We've been putting out four a year since 2017. It really started in 2016 for me, and I couldn't keep up. I just couldn't keep up. I needed a year off. So we, you know, we've got an issue out. And that'll be our issue for 2021. And we'll pick it back up in 2022. Well, and hopefully at that point, all the good stuff is going to happen. We can all go to South Bend or to North Bend, I should say, and, and to Washington. The and, cool and, kids and go to South Bend. What's I that? Mean, I said the cool kids go to South That's Bend. True. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> was, was that your first project? Okay, so you were you were a guy that worked nine to five. Like you were the guy that kind of understood the uh, what we were taught as Gen Xers, um, you know, go to school, get a job, get a good job with benefits, that kind of a thing. Do your nine to five deal or whatever. And and at some point you deviated and said, no, I want to I want to friggin write a book or, or more become part of things. How did that process happen? And when did it happen? Was Blue Rose your first foray into that? <sighs> You know, it's so funny. First of all, I got to say that before I was that, I was a stay-at-home dad. Okay. So I was a stay-at-home dad for 10 years with twins. Okay. And that really, I think, was my first project. So I wrote a an ebook only called Scott Luck Stories, where you there's good luck, there's bad luck, and then there's Scott Luck. So it was stories of me being a stay-at-home dad and then my entry into corporate America as a 35-year-old, something like that. So I was older than everyone else. Right. And stepping into corporate America when you are older than the people you're with gives a completely different dynamic to the job and kind of set me apart because I didn't care. You know, I, I wasn't, I didn't have that, you know, desire to really impress that boss who was 10 years younger than me and I wasn't intimidated by anyone. So it sort of gave me a reputation. And I write a lot about that in Scott Luck stories that just bosses that couldn't handle me because I have a big personality. Right. And, uh, by man, the, the example of that, like, not having to deal with all the crap of when you get your first job and the politics and all of that stuff, that, that must feel good to be able to say, yeah, I went into there without really any of that stuff. The baggage that you see all the people around you or many of the people around you have, that must've been very freeing. Yeah. I mean, it was for me. Uh, and also just being at home with two toddlers, it was fun to not have to change other people's underwear during the day. So that was a benefit as well. 
Um, yeah, they should write that on the uh, on the job descriptions. I mean, as a, as, a, as a perk, there's a benefit right there. Never mind, right? Health insurance. But you know, but the, an, an example of how I would get in trouble is I was a phone rep, so I took phone calls for eight hours a day. Which, as you know, again, just like you, my guiding light in this life has been David Letterman. You know, yes. I've watched him my whole life. You know, being on the phone with people, it was just a, a time for me to improvise. That's what sure. I wanted to do. I mean, I took phone calls like Letterman running the Taco Bell drive through <laughs> and most people loved it sure. because they don't expect that person to be funny. So you could almost get away with being funny with with lesser jokes because they don't expect to get any jokes when you call in. But so they would have these uh, motivational things to make us take more phone calls and do better and, you know, crush yourself as much you could. And so the way they decided to do it is you would get a sticker for every time you did good. And then if you got like 20 stickers, you got a balloon that you could hang at your desk. And I remember being in a meeting and saying, hey, that's the exact way I taught my kids to tinkle in the potty. (laughs) And so it was comments like that that didn't Upper management was never a fan of me. <laughs> there were many times I was pulled off the floor to tell me how to behave and how I was never going to succeed uh, with my attitude. And when I'm interviewing Cheryl Lee from Twin Peaks or Ken Olin from 30-something or Sybil Shepherd from Moonlighting, I often think of those people who were just so sad in their job that their number one thing was to squash the comedy out of me. Wow. Um, and it, it that's to me, you know, you said that I have an inspiring story. To me, that's the part of it that's inspiring to me. I never let somebody squash that Letterman persona out of me. Never. That's amazing. And 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 so I'm I'm gonna ask a quick question on that. We didn't we don't plan anything when it comes to this stuff. Scott and I just kind of riff and we just go. <laughs> um so when that would happen did you let it get to you? And if you, and, and and did you put up any mental armor or whatever? So you would be bulletproof to those kinds of things where somebody was trying to take your personality out of the job and just, just get you to be kind of a drone. Like, did you knowingly have any sort of uh, tactics and tactics is the wrong word. Um, no, I know what you mean. Um, you know, it'd be so simple for me to sit here and say it didn't get to me. And that I was fine every day. That would be a complete lie. Um, There were times, if I had a side project, I could make it. If I had something outside of it. And in fact, with Scott Luck Stories, which was my first book that I wrote, and they're all comic stories in that about, about, you know, they're just short little funny stories. Yeah. I was working on that while I worked in corporate America. And at the same time, you know, I was trying to get that done. So I'm working and writing together. I used to joke it's the first first and only time I got paid to write. (laughs) And because I was doing this other thing, I was really working hard. I wanted to get my work done so I could write. And my supervisor and her supervisor pulled me off the floor took me into a room to have a talk with me. And I thought, oh God, they know I'm writing a book. I'm screwed. Yep. I'm busted. And they were mad at me because I closed the most cases of anyone. And I won an iPad because I had closed the most cases in the company. And they said, 
did you cheat? Because oh you couldn't God. have closed this many cases. Did you do this to win the iPad? And I said, I didn't even know there was a contest for the iPad. I didn't read emails that came from anyone. I'm writing a book. And they said, we're taking half your team away from you. And we're giving it to someone else because we don't think you're doing this much work. So they lifted half my work off me just when my book was really getting to the deadline. So I had all this extra time to write my book. And I thought this, and then they gave me the iPad and they were so angry with me. And I couldn't tell them, I didn't know there was a contest for an iPad. So I sort of, if I had a project that I could hide under, I never cared about work. But when it seemed like those things weren't going to happen, they would, it would get me down that I was like, is this all I'm ever going to be when I had aspirations to be so much more? Oh, and you use the word right there, aspirations. And I think those aspirations are the things that turn uh, black and white life into color. And many times factors, whether it's intentional or not, the world we live in now, um, you know, in the, in, in, in the 21st century is um, you, you gotta, you gotta keep your life in color and aspirations are the things that do that. Um, you've always been a big fan of things, you know, like, like, you know, Letterman, all that kind of stuff, Twin Peaks, Moonlighting, which we'll get to in a minute here. What made you um, decide to go, okay, so you're writing these kind of Reader's Digest stories about your life. You, people are, uh, you're getting some form of encouragement, whether it's your own self-amusement or somebody else is saying, hey, you're really good at this. What made you make the choice to take one of your passions and, and just, take it to that next level and write stuff about it and create this culture? I mean, in a way it's luck. So the way this all started was because I had a podcast with my brother-in-law. I didn't know what a podcast was. This was, (laughs) I think we've been doing it for 11 years. So it wasn't like now when you get your driver's license and they give you a podcast at the same time. You know, that's an early adopter. 11 years is a long time. Yep. This, you know, there weren't, I didn't know what one was. He did all the technical start. You know, he, I just had to talk. And as you can see, you know, push play on me and I go. <laughs> um, so in doing that, we would tweet out if we covered an episode of something, you know, you try to tag those people. And I did one on the episode, the TV show 30 something. Yep. And one of the writers retweeted it. And whenever I would get a connection with somebody, I don't let that go to waste, you know? So I contacted him and said, could I interview you? We did an interview and then he said, do you want to talk to any of the cast? And I wasn't going to say no. Of course not. So, you know, it just all flowed from there. And um, another project that I have going now that I don't, I don't even know if you know about, but I'm doing a book about self-publishing. It's called, but couldn't I do that? So I'm writing my story of how I've done all of these things. And that comes out in May through, uh, I'm doing it with my friend, Aaron O'Neill. And so I just wrote about this thing. And it's not just that Richard Kramer, who was this writer, he wrote on my so-called life and Nashville and 30 something. Yep. Um, It's not just that he retweeted me. It's that when I saw that, I saw that opportunity. How could I talk to him? Not because I was like, I'll have a book about 30 something. Yeah. You had no agenda. Viewers don't know. Yeah. Um, 
it was opportunity, but also that I had prepared my whole life to be competent enough to have that interview and excel at my questions, be interested in him, treat him like a human. And then because I was kind to him, he was willing to say, oh, well, talk to this actor. You know, and I ended up getting Ed Zwick, who's an Oscar nominated director. Um, And, you know, all those things happen, not from that one moment. You know, you don't get a break. You create your break. Yep. Yep. And um, it's funny because you created your break without the outcome to try and create the break. So there's 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 an intangible irony there, like it was your passion that led to you saying, Hey, I would love to have a conversation with this person, you know, and that, that got you excited and whatnot, but that you had no idea at that point that you were creating yourself a break. No. And that's, that's that beautiful irony uh, that comes with this. Um, So the 30 something book is the same format as most of your books when it comes to the idea of talking to people who were involved in the show uh, about a variety of things. And as you interview them, then you create a narrative that tells an entire story with snippets uh, of what people say to you during these interviews. And you put them all together into a timeline and put them together in a book there that, that that's, that's kind of your bread and butter when it comes to these uh, observational books, right? Yeah, I've done three of them now, 30-something Letterman and Moonlighting. Um, I will say I don't, I'm not doing another one unless some, like someone would have to come in and and pay me. Like I want to start doing different things. Sure. It just happened to work out that way. They're so incredibly hard. It's, yeah. it's just hard to get all those interviews. It's hard to get that story in. And now, you know, in the 30-something book, I don't write at all. It's just them. In Letterman, I did write a little bit. And then in Moonlighting, I'm writing more. So it's almost was like a nice way for me to ramp up to be confident enough as a writer to, because especially in the 30 something book, I thought, who wants to hear from me? Right. Like you can hear from them. And I was like afraid to talk. Um, and then I've gotten braver as each book has gone on. That's really interesting that you'd say that. The 30-something book is one I haven't read. Um, and 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 it's interesting that you'd say that because um, as a guy who has only read the other two and then seen some of the Twin Peaks things and whatnot, I, I got to tell you, your narrative in the middle of things uh, or, or in between to set up or to conclude or whatever is like a warm blanket. It's really, really good. Um, and it's, to me, it's like, okay, it's almost like you're the tour guide taking me on this journey. And, um, and, and, you know, the journey that we go on is, is what all of the principles of these projects say, whether it's Letterman production staff or writers or, or directors or, or the actors, um, uh, and, and principles of, of, of moonlighting. And it's really interesting that you would say that because I think your commentary and some of the things that you say in the middle there are really not just funny and entertaining, but they, they, they help the tour be a lot more powerful than it would have been. Um, would you have done knowing then what you know now, would you have, uh, would you have done that in the 30 something book more if you could rewrite? Yes. It? I think I made a mistake 
by not doing it in 30 something. I mean, I did write an opening intro and a closing intro, but I do not talk through any of the episodes. And I think it was a mistake, Um, but I wasn't ready to do it. I mean, I just wasn't there yet as a writer. And especially, I think, it's not that I, I I don't know. it's so hard to say about, I don't want to compare and contrast the people, but I feel like with the 30 something writers, I was really in awe of them. They were, they're so smart and they've all gone on to do great things. Like I said, Ed Zwick doing Tom Cruise movies and glory and Marshall Herskovit. You know what I mean? These were giants, especially for my first book. It's not that the Letterman people aren't, but Joe Grossman, I don't know that I'm intimidated by Joe Grossman, you know, (laughs) I mean, nothing against him. He's, he's, much more successful than me, but you know what I mean? I, I felt like with Letterman, I I don't want to take on you or Don Giller or there's so many people, but I can talk about Letterman. Like he is my TV fan friend. I wasn't, I didn't feel like an imposter or anything. Like I had, I knew those last six weeks. I knew what they mattered and I had things to say about them. We're 30 something I'm not as good as them. Like, I'm not a writer of drama. I'm not an Oscar-winning director. So right. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but... Um, it, it does. It, it definitely does. And it, But it also shows that you are on a progression because you are saying that, no, you know what? If it was back then, I would have given myself permission to um, express myself and and be part of that. And that's okay because you're just adding to their narrative, but it took you a life lesson to kind of get there. And I'm really glad it did. I want to talk about the Moonlighting book. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit about uh, your, 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 you've already alluded to um, that you think differently than a lot of people out there are maybe trained to think. And, and, and there's the K word kindness and you build your whole life around that. And I want to get into that too, but let's talk about moonlighting for a second. Um, moonlighting is one of those shows that without even knowing it uh, changed TV entertainment, how we digest it, um, what a season really is. Um, you know, it changed a whole whack of stuff, kind of like the way The Office did and other shows, but it did it back in the 80s. Um, are, are, are people connecting with Moonlighting still or are, are, are you finding through this project here you're introducing it to a lot of people? I believe that this is going to be a nostalgia-based book, which is very interesting because I am not someone who believes very much in nostalgia, and I do not, um, I don't, I don't know, I want to say like spend currency in nostalgia. That isn't really where I sit. You have no truck for the sentimental. Yeah, I mean, through the interviews, that's where it is. And, and, you know, you've read the book, so... I'm kind of curious how you feel about it, but I know that the beginning of the book seems as if it's going to be a nostalgic look at it. In the very beginning, when you go through the pilot and the first couple seasons and it's happy and everyone loves it, and you can kind of feel like, oh, this is making me feel good. And then things go crazy. (laughs) Shit gets real, man. (laughs) And so I am curious at how... um, those fans of Moonlighting who just think that, oh, this is going to be walking us through these funny cases or things, because it's really not about the series kind of at all. It's really about the people who made it and what they went through and 
what was going on in the 80s with um, corporations yep. taking over television yep. and all of that. I mean, it, it becomes something else. It, it does. Um, yeah, it, it is all of those things. Uh, but it also is that nostalgia that you were that you were talking about. That part is there. And I think I think that the one thing that people who would read this book now talking about the show that took place in the 80s, um, like I, the context that I, I just want to show people, like go to your local grocery store and look at, I don't know, Us Weekly, the National Enquirer is still around, um, Star, whatever, whatever these publications are that talk about the happenings and, you know, gossip mags. Right. Back then, Moonlighting and, and the antics that were happening around that show were on the cover of these magazines all the time. Like, and I think about somebody told me in the promotion business once, um, and they're in the pro wrestling business. They said to me, they said, hey, there's steak and there's sizzle. So back then there was a lot of sizzle and those headlines provided that. Um, this book is the steak. Like this book is like, okay, it's got all the sizzle that you would have seen in those headlines back then, but the behind the scenes of how things really happened. And, and, you know, it's the idea. This is, by the way, Bruce Willis, one of the biggest action stars on the entire planet um, and has been since he left Moonlighting, (laughs) um, was discovered for Moonlighting. Like, like the stories upon stories and the layers of them, it's a very rich book when it comes to, uh, the depth of story in it. Thank you. I really appreciate that because that was something that I wanted to do. And this book was definitely the hardest and least fun book I've done. And that's not a bad thing. That's yep. not a complaint. It's a good but, challenge. You know, as we've alluded to, I'm, I'm all about kindness. That is what I want to do. I would never spend a year and a half on something just to tear someone down. Right. I don't, I, I mean, like to me, that would be crazy if, I don't know, I can't even think of a show, let's say Better Call Saul. Sure. If I'm like, I really like Better Call Saul, how can I ruin it for everyone? <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, what I'm going to do. Next- yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's just not what I want to do. But when I was doing these interviews, these stories are coming out. And I will say a lot of stories didn't make the book. If there were personal if somebody personally oh, okay. said something about someone else, it, it doesn't make my book. I don't care if you don't like someone. Like that isn't relative right. to history. Like, yep. but if someone doesn't show up for work for three weeks, I mean, that affects everyone. And there was a lot of that. And I struggled because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But if two people told me something, then it made the book. I mean, that's the way I did it. Yep. Well, and it's funny. uh, I love this. I love this part. And I think you even mentioned it in the foreword to the book or the the, the prologue. Um, Going by people's memories of things. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I've, I've, I've listened to Dr. Joe Dispenza and, and Rogan has had people on his podcast that talk about this stuff, how, how the, our memory is actually not a really good gauge of, of things like eyewitness accounts, how things, uh, details are different in different people's minds. And one of the things that you did was there would be people talk, Bruce Willis's, um, 
uh, first or one of his first screen tests. You know, uh, right. you know, somebody was saying that he was up on a filing cabinet. Somebody was saying he was up on a desk. Somebody was saying he was like they they would almost contradict each other a little bit. But you mm-hmm. left that in, which I love. I found that really charming. And um, many times you'd have two people sort of saying the same thing, but they'd be saying it out of their prism or their context. Right. And it was it was really neat to see that. Yeah, that's my favorite thing to do in these oral histories. And, you know, when I interview someone, I do not tell them what someone else said. And a lot of times they'll want to know that. They'll say, well, what did Sybil say about that episode? And then I always say, well, what do you say about that episode? Because it doesn't matter what someone else said. What do you remember? And, you know, I love, there's another time, there's a very famous episode of Moonlighting where they do a Shakespeare episode. Yeah. And everyone would say it was the most expensive episode of television. And so I asked every person how much that episode costs. And then I I have all those in a row. And it's fun because someone's like, oh, it was a half a million. And someone's like, oh, it was a million. It was a million point five. I know for a fact it was 2.5 million. It was 4 million. You know, so how, how much did it cost? I don't know. I couldn't find out. Right. But also... My editor said, well, you got to find out how much that episode cost. And I said, no, I don't. No, you sure don't. Like, it's better to not know because hearing all these people throw this thing out, what the reader gets from that is that it was crazy that they did that entire episode and the story behind it and that it was that expensive and why it was that expensive. It doesn't matter. Why? Who cares what it costs? You didn't have to pay for it. So and it was 30 years ago. Absolutely. And and you're bringing up a reason as to, um, and this isn't me just shamelessly trying to plug your book, um, but I, I'm going to shamelessly try and plug your book here because it is a fascinating book um, to show the behind the scenes of a TV show that decided to break all the rules back then to really create a whole bunch of things that go on when it comes to entertainment today. Uh, Really fascinating stories about how these things came to be by accident, because like you said, sometimes these things, um, they, they, they just show up, you know, they, and, and, and that's what happened with this, with this show. Like the idea that, you know, everybody, the crew, the, the cast, everybody are there and they're waiting for pages to be read. And, and the idea that Bruce Willis was literally memorizing three pages of dialogue minutes before he goes on set because he should have been on set three hours ago. And, and, and all of these amazing tidbits that end up leading to how TV is produced today or, or entertainment is produced today, like just fascinating stuff. Um, well, and I what was the thing that surprised you, you the most out of the book for me, I have wondered really my whole life. Why hasn't, a show been like Moonlighting since Moonlighting. And, you know, somebody will, somebody listening right now just said, Bones, uh, Castle, that's just like Moonlighting. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. It's not about a will they, won't way. That isn't what Moonlight, it wasn't a detective series. No. What Moonlighting did was you, when you tuned in, You didn't know if you were going to get a black and white episode. You didn't know if they were going to do Shakespeare. Sometimes they sang. Sometimes they have a case. Sometimes they don't at all. They have family members on. They talk to the camera. And, you know, they used to do 
you know, like there might be a scene where someone holds a gun to Bruce Willis as a detective and he says, you're not going to kill a major TV star. And, you know, (laughs) so then he's making a joke there, but then they jump right in. And I'm like, why can't, you know, we think WandaVision, I'm not cracking on WandaVision, but right now everyone's like, oh, WandaVision's so amazing. And it's not that it's not, but it's controlled. Everything we watch is controlled. And Moonlighting was out of control. You would turn on TV and you didn't know if it was going to be new or not. And just think about that in today's where we expect not just to have a new episode, but drop that whole season in one day and I'm going to watch it all this weekend. What if you went to Netflix or Disney Plus to watch the next WandaVision and it wasn't there? No. And they were like, oh, we didn't finish it. (laughs) Like that just doesn't happen now. And I was always curious about how did, how'd you even get away with it to begin with? Right. So I feel like the book does answer those questions. It does. Uh, It does a very good job of that. And it's mostly by accident, really, when it comes down to it. Like you think of some of the envelopes they pushed um, and you talk about ABC back then, back then, three major networks, not uncommon to get 15 to 20 million viewers uh, for, for, for a show completely undiluted compared to where we are now. And you know, you you would you wouldn't know what to expect. They did break the fourth wall. I think about when you're making these comparisons. Throw Deadpool. Throw a PG version of Deadpool in this, right. and 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 the influences that that show brought um, were bonkers. And the fact that they wouldn't have an episode finished, and ABC uh, would have to say, okay, well, we're airing it. Uh, you know, we're we're <laughs> we're gonna maybe not adhere to some of the standards or practices or um, or editings or final say that we would have because everybody wants this show. Everybody wants a new episode. We haven't had a new one for two weeks. Okay, we're going to air it. Yeah, and they, they, you know, they talked about how they got away with a lot of things just because the editors were turning it in Tuesday morning and it's airing that night. What are you going to do? You can't go back and reshoot it. I mean, so there was a lot of that. And, you know... The, re- the way these books happen is because a stranger trusts me that I'm going to do right by them. You know, Richard Kramer was that stranger for 30-something. Yep. Barbara Gaines was yep. that stranger for Letterman. And Glenn Gordon Karen was that stranger for Moonlighting. Now, it might have been easiest for Glenn because I did send him my Letterman book. Right. And he could look at something and, you know, he sort of knew what I do and that I don't do a hit job on people. Yeah. You have a level Um, of respect. Yeah. Because it, it, you know, I guess I don't like eating. I guess it could be that. I mean, (laughs) because if I wanted to eat, then I would put that stuff in the book. And, but I don't want to hurt Sybil Shepard's feelings. Not that I could, but. I don't want to hurt Bruce Willis. I don't want to tear down Glenn Gordon Karen. He's he is very influential to me as a writer. Yes. So I don't want to hurt him. I mean, why would I be mean to someone? Right. Um, and 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 that's the thing. You you know that show had so much explosive energy around it uh, that you you could, in fact, not even just with intention, but in, in that show with all the stories that happened and, 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 you know, you've got two major stars, one who's an up and comer, one who was kind of that screen, um, almost a screen legend or screen uh, icon. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of explosiveness around there. 
So let me ask you this, like, you didn't have to want to be mean to potentially be, you know, say things that would be construed as mean. How did you, um, how did you skirt that line? Well, and it was hard for me. And, you know, a major magazine contacted me a month ago Mm -hmm. and they said, we heard you're doing a moonlighting book. Can you send it to us? We're really interested. And I was excited. That would be a leap for me that I've never gotten to ever. So I sent it right away and I'm like, you know, whatever you need, let me know. And I'm so excited. And then I waited a month and then I sent him an email and I said, hey, just wondered what was going on with this. Because, you know, you want to say, well, this is the difference between, you know, having dinner this week and not. Right. (laughs) I mean, it's not that bad, but you know what I mean? Like really every book I sell really makes a difference in my life. There isn't there isn't a sale that doesn't, this is how I'm trying to live. Yeah. Um, and they haven't responded. And I have a feeling that this wasn't the book, a major publishing, you know, a major magazine wants to talk about. They were hoping like, for salaciousness. Yeah. And yeah. even within, you know, so to answer your question, it was the director, Alan Arkish, um, his interview changed my whole book. You may not know Alan Arkish's name, but I'm sure everybody's seen his work. He's a major television director. He did Ally McBeal and Fame and St. Elsewhere and L.A. Law and everything. Yep. I mean, he, he's a major television director. Yep. We had, he wanted to FaceTime. Normally, I like to do my interviews on the phone because I don't want you to think about me. I don't want you to see me, but he really wanted to FaceTime. Right. So we FaceTimed and he just told great story after great story. We talked for about two and a half hours and he said, look, I'm getting hungry, but I want to keep going. Can we pause for an hour and a half and pick this back up? And I said, sure. Yep. And right where we paused was where Dave and Maddie have sex. Oh, interesting. That's where we paused. Yep. The whole morning when we talked, he was delightful. He was smiling. He's telling great stories. It's all there. Yeah. We come back an hour and a half later. We pick up and you can just see it in his face. It's bitter, it's angry, it's rough. And none of his stories were making me laugh. They were all horrible. And I'll be honest, Mm -hmm. 50% of the didn't make the book because I I can't tell those stories. It's just not in my nature to tell them. They don't serve a purpose. And some of them are so petty and so Hollywood and it, it's just not me, yeah. but even the other 50% wasn't exactly me. And I, I really struggled with what to do with it. But I said, if I want to be a television historian, and I realize that's a stupid sentence, <laughs> like, like if I want to be a doctor and, and create the vaccine, that's an important <laughs> sentence, but I don't know if a television historian is, but I do have integrity for me, not for as a journalist, or as a writer, just because of who I am. Yeah. I said, I have to tell the truth. He was the story of that book. He was so happy and then he was miserable. And yep. that's really what 
everything is, not just moonlighting. That's what our lives are. We have the up and then it gets hard. That's what our marriages are, you yeah. know? And then it, it's work. And what do you do when things turn? And yes. um, I decided that I had, it wasn't me saying it. It was them saying it. You know, I, in that book, I don't say anything bad about Sybil Shepherd. I don't say anything bad about Bruce Willis no. or Glenn or Jay or Alan. So, and nobody says anything bad about a person. Yeah. But they do talk about maybe just difficult behavior. Yes. Um, and, and getting yourself to that place where you're able to kind of write these hard things, um, you still had a level of respect and integrity with that and, and, and to guard, to essentially guard, because at that point there, if you're not guarding against these things, that's where that, that slippery slope can lead down to, uh, to some, to some bad places. And I love the fact that as a writer, um, you, you took that into account and that says a lot about integrity and it says a lot about the love for something. I find it extremely interesting that that conversation happened. I mean, for those who haven't seen Moonlighting, and by the way, since reading this book, I have been um, uh, viciously looking for places that I can stream the series and I can't find it. So I'm, I'm probably going to have to just buckle down and, 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 and buy the whole thing. I think they're uh, on YouTube. I think a lot of the episodes are on YouTube. Oh, they're actually on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I, that's one place I haven't checked. I checked all my streaming services and all that stuff to see that's funny um but i want to watch it again for those who haven't watched moonlighting this is the classic show and i'm not going to spoil anything by saying this is the classic will they won't they in the in the regard of 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 these two main characters who an entire nation or planet wanted these two characters to get together and the the will they won't they all that i find it very um i love the fact that as you're interviewing alan it was great up until they had sex. And then, right. Like it, that echoes so many things. You talk about layers. Like that's really, really uh, interesting how that's the case. Yeah, it is because everyone, that's what Moonlighting is remembered for. Yep. Even more so than discovering Bruce Willis because people are going to yep. think he was discovered in Die Hard, even though that's not true. And it no. doesn't, you know, um, but it's remembered for they had sex and then the show sucked. Yep. That's the simple, you know, and, and I talk about that in the book. I call it the moonlighting curse. Yep. And I've been writing about that for many years. Like 10 years ago, I wrote a blog a, said saying that there is no moonlighting curse. And, um, but I didn't, I didn't know the backstage things that happened at that moment. It was just coincidence that all of that happened right when on the air they had sex yeah uh, it's really interesting to me and you know i could have written much more in the book about that but again i try not to insert my stuff in as much as as getting their stuff yeah well and i mean and even going back again this is uh for anybody who's interested in this book the you'll you'll be hooked the moment you hear uh or you read uh sybil shepherd's first impression of bruce willis and how what what they you know the, the let, let's put it this way the the real life tension that was shown there is reflective in everything that we're talking about here including a conversation 30 years later that you're having with this uh, the the director of many of the episodes and and i just um 
that gives me pause for how so many people can be affected by by one piece of chemistry um and and the results of that chemistry and 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 so like it's a bigger book than just talking about an 80s tv show um it's a bigger book than that it's fascinating and and, you know we certainly don't have to get into this but i'm i'm just gonna tell you because we're buddies or pals we're not sure it depends buddies buddy we're there um but i'm curious to see when when i start doing interviews how much the woke 2021 is going to come into play because I struggled with that because a a behind the scenes thing that happens is that Sybil Shepard gets pregnant and it causes a lot of stress in a lot of ways. And I try to handle it very sensitively and walk that line because right now it's really hard for men to say anything and rightfully so about those things. And I'm curious, I didn't want anyone to get me too, even though there's no sexual harassment in, in the moonlighting book, but you know, there it's interesting. I'm curious if the book's going to get a pass. And I, I do have a setup at the front part that says, look, this is a book about the eighties, not a book about 2021. Right. And I love that you said that. I love that you said that. Cause I mean, you know, this is, he changed it is this is what we're, you know, we're immersed in this, right? Like, like this is where, where, why he changed it even exists. Why my wife and her, her, and her uh, founding partners have created this entire app is just for what you're talking about. It's to help men deal with things as they're changing and evolving. And, and um, you know, that change and evolution while necessary is not always good. And sometimes pendulums swing too far in other directions. As a writer, um, when do you start thinking about that? Do you think about it like at the editing process when you're assembling everything? Are you thinking about it the the moment someone is telling you a story where you're like, oh god damn, I don't know how I'm gonna <laughs> how I'm gonna be able to to even repeat these words? Uh, like, where when does that enter your mind? Is it through the whole process, Scott? Well, I'm not. I'm. This is the honest to goodness truth. Um, that came into my mind in 1992 or 91 when i rewatched moonlighting on lifetime i really feel like it was 91 or 92 yeah and in watching that show i had a theory that sybil shepherd was inside a boys club and the writers and the creator eventually hated sybil shepherd so much so that their hatred bleeded out through the scripts into treatment of Maddie Hayes. Wow. And I've had this theory since I was 20, 21 years old. Now, I didn't have it as a 15-year-old when it first aired. I was, no. you know, I just was totally David Addison. Yep. But when it was in syndication, I was in college, you know, watching Twin Peaks, so your mind yeah. widens. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always wanted to have that conversation with Sybil. Yeah. Was she eaten alive by a boys club? And you know what's funny? I mean, he, I mean, crazily, I get to talk to Sybil Shepherd. I get to become friends with Sybil. And uh, she said no. She didn't think that was true. And all the writers said, no, we don't think that happened. And it's not in the book at all. Because as I said, I needed something corroborated by two people. And it was just my theory. And not one person 
in the show, even though I interviewed two female writers, yep. they also didn't think that that's what happened. So I'm sure I'm wrong. So I think I was sensitive to that for my whole life. I was fascinated as you were talking there. I always am. I love listening to you talk, but there you, I was really, really interested in what you were saying because I'm like that, that didn't, I didn't get that out of the book at all. And then of course, no, I didn't put it in it, like, Holy cow. That's, uh, that's very, I think it would have been wrong of me to put it in because that is my, that was my theory. Yeah. And honestly, I believe it's true. Okay. But I, I mean, Roger director ran season four of Moonlighting and and his interview in the book, I love so much because you can feel his pain. 30 years later, he thinks he ruined Moonlighting. Yeah. And he didn't, but I couldn't, I couldn't make him feel better. There's nothing I could do. But, you know, I asked him about it and he was like, no, we would have never, we loved Sybil, you know, and he, he's actually quoted in the book as saying, I was never mad at Sybil for getting pregnant. That's her right. She should have had a kid. You know, I I was never getting involved in that. Um, And it's funny that I'm bringing it up here because it's like what I don't want to discuss when I go in real interviews, not that we're not a real interview, but someone that I don't trust. You know know what what I mean? I know what you feel. I know what you're saying. Here I know we're going to have an open discussion about it, not a sensationalized, can I trick him into saying Sybil Shepard was beaten up by a bunch of boys, you yeah. know, Yeah, which I have no proof that she was. No, but at the end of the day, um, I think what we can take from this though, is that we, and this is, this is where the optimism comes in for me is that we can recognize the culture that everybody just viewed back then. Cause that's the whole thing. Like people right now, generations who are younger than us are trying to make the past better. Dave Chappelle just said that, and and he appreciates when they when they do that, and 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 that's a good thing that that youngers are trying to younger people are trying to rectify uh, wrongs that were made in the past. But it's not wrong that the fact that back then everybody was just living in the culture, doing business as usual, the way business was done, not with any intent of anything bigger than that. And, and you feeling this way, even though back then it wasn't conscious, it wasn't necessarily something that was, was, was there, the culture was there and the culture has changed. And you just saying that has just, uh, is a, it's a recognition, the fact that the culture has changed and what happened back then would not happen now. And hopefully 10 years from now, what's happening now won't be happening then. You know what I'm saying? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, that's really cool. I, I love how deep we're getting in on this thing, um, <laughs> because because it really is a, a a book that is about moonlighting, but also about bigger things. And I think that this discussion reflects that. Um, one of the reasons why, and and we're gonna get at, um, we're gonna circle back to how people can um, support any of your projects. And I mean, you know, uh, if 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 Scott's got a project about something that you, uh, the viewer, the listener are interested in, you know, so we talk about Letterman, we talk about uh, Twin Peaks, we talk about 30 something, and now we're talking about Moonlighting. You, you want to jump in there. You want to get close to the stuff that he's doing because he does it with a, with a, a level of, of honor and love and, and care and respect. And at the end of the day, kindness. And um, you and I are very similar in the fact that, uh, that, that, that we love kindness and you've actually wrapped your entire um, life around it. And I want, I really want the, he changed it universe to kind of know 
what that is, because to me, um, it's a really inspiring thing and it is the right way to live life, in fact. And so, Scott, if you wouldn't mind, could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I love it. Uh, So in the back of every one of my books, I started it in with Scott Luck Stories, which, again, was just an ebook. I had no aspirations of ever writing something else. But even then, I was like, if I have this moment where somebody is going to listen to me, I want to ask them to be kind because I think it's the most important thing that we can do. And I started it then. So in the back of every one of my books, I don't write the same thing, but I always start with the same sentence that says, let me introduce you to my religion. It's called kindness. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, I'm pretty self-aware because, again, I think of myself as a comedian first. And if you're a comedian, you learn to re- read the room and know what you can get away with and and know what you can do. Yeah. So I didn't know I was kind until I got those jobs in corporate America. So I think I was between 35, 37 in that time. Yep. I didn't know that kindness mattered and that it wasn't currency. But right. when I, I was working at Time Warner Cable in, um, I guess it was telecom or something, but I didn't know anything. I didn't know what a DIA was. I didn't understand how the internet comes in. I don't understand how you talk on the phone and it's not a phone line. I didn't know how to do any of that. But what I did know how to do was empathize with someone whose cable was down or their phone was down. And just that little bit, when that person's calling in and they can't access, you know, their phone doesn't work or whatever. Yeah. The fact that the first thing I gave them was kindness, took their anger from here down, where the person sitting next to me who was honestly... Well, I hate to do most, but it is in the top five worst people I've ever met in my life. You know, just an angry, horrible, sad, miserable human being, you know, took every call that they got and just ratcheted that person. And I would always tell the person, oh, my God, look. We're going to, we got this. Cause most people, when they call in, the first thing they think is you're not going to help them. And I used, if somebody would call in and they would say, look, my cable's down today. And I'm telling, I'd say, look, let me stop you right there. I want you to know I'm going to help you today. Oh. Whatever's going to happen. We're going to work this out. So just let that go. Tell me what your problem is. And I'm going to help you. Now here's an aside. I couldn't, I could never help them. Not one time. Right. Because I didn't understand my job. I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what they were talking about and it didn't make any sense to me. But basically all I had to do was type in what they said and it went to a department and they were going to help them. So it didn't matter that I didn't know. Am I on video? I guess some people see me on video. My bit for working at Time Warner Cable was, I didn't know what to do, but I knew if someone did this, that I should do this. Right. And that's all I did. When they would call and uh, then I go, ah, I do this. <laughs> I didn't understand what we were doing. I didn't know why they were doing this. And I didn't know what this was. Right. 
but I just tried to make them smile and laugh and just take that time out. Like I had a call one time where someone said, this wasn't at Time Warner Cable. This was at McGraw-Hill Education, okay. which were my two corporate jobs. And yeah. both those are mixed into one in Scott Luck stories where I just kind of mixed the corporation together sure. and just told all the stories. Yeah. Someone called in and said, I want to come there and decapitate everyone at McGraw-Hill Education. That was the first thing they said to me. And I said, I'm just curious, are you going to decapitate me or I'm going to lead you to the people who need decapitated? (laughs) And they laughed. Oh, awesome. You know what I mean? Like they didn't expect me and they said, well, will you take me to them? I said, oh, I got the map, man. I got the map. (laughs) And they were like, well, then you're in. And I said, well, before we kill them, Maybe I can solve your problem. And just those, you know what I'm saying? Like just for a second. And I think about it all the time. I go to the post office three to four times a week. That's the only place I go in COVID. Known for its kindness. uh, For a year, the only place I've gone is the post office because I got to send my magazines and books. Sure. And, you know, the, the post office, when I come in now, they literally say, Scott, like I'm Norm from Cheers. Yeah. I bring them coffee. I bring, you know, we exchange Christmas presents and I get better service. Yep. Because they want to help me get my Letterman book to you. Yep. And they know, they'll ask me, what book is this? Is this Letterman or is this 30 something? You know, you got Twin Peaks thing going here and they don't know what any of that stuff is. Sure. And it all comes from being kind. And what I write in my book and one of them, I don't know if it's the Letterman or if it was the Moonlighting one. um, I was going to read what I wrote because one of them, I know that I say, be kind not to get it back. Be kind knowing you're not going to get it back. Yes. That is when you are kind. Yep. And um, this is what I wrote in the back of the Letterman book. If I have your attention in this moment, can I pitch you my religion? It's called kindness. This book is a product of people being kind and generous with their time. The goal in life is to be kind in every situation with no regard to whether or not it is returned. Mm -hmm. Be kind in line at the coffee shop, in the car, and on the internet. Give out as much as you can. It will be returned or it won't. Bam. I, uh, you know, I remember reading, um, I'm really glad. And as we're going to move to the close and I do not want to do this because uh, we are buddies and I could do this all day with you. Um, but we have to get on with our day. And I know that, uh, frustratingly. So, um, I will tell you this, I'm glad that you pulled out, uh, last days of Letterman to read your blurb about kindness, because I can tell you, I, I was in a hotel room reading uh, the E version of the book. And I've since gotten you to send me the personalized one. I love how you do that, by the way. I love how you send personalized versions of the, of the hard copies and, and we'll tell people how they can do that. But by the, back then I just heard about the book and I instantly bought it. And I got to that place and I was in a hotel room with my wife and I sent you my original email that connected us right after I read that. And I got goosebumps as you just read it out loud now, because I can remember the moment when I 
uh, when I, when I, when I, when I, when that, those words passed my eyeballs into my, into my brain and I, and I, and I was immediately wanting to, 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 to reach out and to do something. And that's led to, by the way, a whole bunch of crazy things, including this jacket I'm wearing, including a bunch of the, the, the friends that I have because you wrote those words. And when you wrote those words and we're, we're going full circle here, it was just like that original writer with that conversation from 30 something, you had no idea what would happen when you did that, but you writing those words have literally impacted me. And we're talking about this in real time, being serious about it. You had no idea that was the case. And yet how many times when we do something with no outcome, do greater things than we ever would have imagined happened. And I think that you're wrapping this, the idea of kindness around to that. Um, this this podcast has had so many layers to it, whether we're talking about the layers in the book or the layers to living life of what you're talking about. Scott, I cannot tell you um, how grateful I am that you have done this um, and, and that you go that extra mile instead of just re- writing a compelling book. But you, it's it's like with my wife, and I've I've used this example before for other things. My wife is one of the best cooks I've ever I've ever uh, encountered in my life, and the reason is she's got a secret ingredient she includes, and that's love, and and you include love and kindness in everything that you do, and I just want to say thank you so much for, for 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 talking about that and being able to articulate it so wonderfully. Now, does she get love from Amazon to put in the food or she gets it at the local grocery store? Because I wouldn't mind adding love in my ingredients for my She won't tell me. That's the thing. She won't tell me. I don't know. She thinks uh, I don't know what she thinks I'm going to do, but Uh, it's probably unlikely you can order love from Amazon. No, probably not. Um, It's mom and pop grocery store. It's more like that sounds like more like an Etsy thing. Yeah, yeah, probably Etsy. Good idea. Um, Well, honestly, that means the world to me, what you're saying, because that is what I've tried to do um, my whole life. And I can't explain why, um, but that all I've ever wanted to do, I don't know if you ever, have you ever seen the movie Mr. Saturday Night by Billy Crystal? Of course, yes, absolutely. Yep. She, there's two lines in that movie that really get me. And one is when the, the his wife said she needs he needs the kindness of strangers, yep, or hugs from strangers or something. Yep. And and that's me. Like I really love to interact with strangers. You know, I wasn't writing that thinking that my friends were gonna read. I wanted to reach you without knowing that it was you because yep. to me. The, we can't control what's going on in the government and out there in the world. We have no control over it. Yeah. But you and I can make a difference every day with the people we come in contact with. And that's all I can do. And the post office line or wherever I am, I, you know, bring me your anger. Send it right to me because you are not going to affect me. We didn't talk about internet comments. I could do a whole thing about the amount of people who have been mean to me on the internet. And you are never going to get me to be mean to you back. Never. It's not happening. Uh, I view the same thing. Uh, Those are rabbit holes that I try very hard not to get pulled down um, because they take away uh, my focus on the things that I want to focus on. You know, and, and, and I think that um, many times that is that slippery slope or that downward spiral that happens. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's becoming more prevalent in our culture, 
but it's not everywhere. And you can turn off the council culture. You can decide not to be and just live your life. And when you do it in the way that you talk about, it's, it's all going to work out in the wash and it does work out in the wash. Um, I want things to work out in the wash for you in a big, big, big way. I want to talk about where people can get access to your stuff. So where's the best way to, and, and I would say that, Hey, look, if you want to download it to your Kindle, get it on Amazon, all that stuff, all Scott's projects are there, but you can also personally reach out to him. When you personally reach out to him, I think this, uh, this broadcast has done a very good job of showing who you're reaching out to and the personalization that's there and uh, uh, not just personalizing your book or whatever, but supporting someone who's, who's really following their dreams and dude, you deserve that. And I, you deserve to any project you want to do, you deserve to be able to do it. How can people reach out to you and find uh, the different things that, that, that you have done? So there's multiple places. Uh, ScottRyanProductions.com is my website and my stuff is up there. That has a lot of my podcasts as well. Um, Fayetteville Mafia Press, which is hard to, uh, you know, when you're listening (laughs) through Spotify as you mow the grass, it's hard to be like, what was that address? But it's Fayetteville Mafia Press. That's where, that's my publishing company. And then if you're a Twin Peaks fan, Mm bluerosemag.com is where the, uh, but I also put my books up there too, but probably the easiest is scottryanproductions.com can lead you pretty much everywhere from there. Awesome. I, uh, I highly, highly recommend anything that he has done. Um, I think judging by, uh, you know, the viewers and listeners who hear how articulate Scott is, you will, you, you got a good flavor. I'm really grateful that we went over what we normally do from a time perspective today, because I wanted everybody to get a good, good idea of the flavor of who you are and what it is that you do. Uh, this is not the last time that we're going to talk. Um, no, Scott, again, really we missed a lot of things. And what I would say I to people listening through this app, which I love that you guys are doing you know it's not that it doesn't really suck right now it sucks so bad but who cares why does it have to be good you know what today be nice to someone you don't know and you're gonna find that that will get you out of where you are and i believe that wholeheartedly being nice to someone you don't know isn't for them it's for you it makes you feel better and it makes your world a better place and all of the just vomitous nastiness that is thrown on us as americans will wash right off you because you'll see that that um you'll have kind i mean i'm really thinking about writing a book about my post office experience and the amount of people that i've met in line and talked and you know because there's a lot of it out there and just be kind I hope you do write that book on kindness. I will be the first one to buy it. I will uh, shout it from the rooftops and promote it. Um, I do believe that that is uh, a project that, that, that needs to come out of you. And I think that the anecdotes that you can include in there are so varied, you know, and it gives you a chance to maybe look back at the 30 something book and look back at the Letterman book and look at like the, the, the ripple of, of you being you Scott. And I'm not, this is not any, He's my buddy. It's not fan service. You throwing the rock into the, into the, into the pond, the ripples that have come off that have allowed me to have like four things crossed off my bucket list. Cause I'm a big letterman guy too. And, and, and just getting to know Scott has 
thrown me into getting to know a bunch of the folks who worked for Letterman and, and all of these things. Like you just don't know. And, and, and it comes from that. And it's whatever the things that we do, we don't know what the outcomes are going to be, but sometimes um, it comes back to us in a big, big way and doing it, not wanting it to come back, just doing it for the sake of doing it. It makes you feel so good right there. And, and uh, just to reiterate you uh, and, and I, I'm clumsy compared to how you have it. You have it down to a science. So I hope you do write a book about kindness, Scott. I really do. Well, maybe I will. I mean, it's it's something that I definitely believe in, um, but we'll see. I mean, in the meantime, I, I, right you've now, got I moonlighting to find help to do. me move because <laughs> I don't have any buddies. Where are, where are you? Are you really you're really moving, or was that just a, a no? We are metaphor? no, yeah. It, it would be a good bit too, so it's a fair thing to ask. But no, we're moving to Florida. <laughs> oh, so are you? Really? I didn't know. Okay, finding this out on uh, broadcast right yeah. now. Wow. So, um, yeah, we're we're making a big move because yeah. I'm sick of the cold. So, yeah. You're going to be that Florida man, a Florida man, dot, dot, dot. You know, I hope so. Scott Ryan, a Florida man. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Florida man gets in fight at post office. Obviously wasn't kind enough. <laughs> <laughs> Kindness book put on hold when Florida man <laughs> gets in a fight at post office. There's a lot we can do with this. Oh, man. There's a lot of meat on that bone. Um, <laughs> Scott, <laughs> thank you very much, man. Um, as always, I'm delighted anytime you and I have an interaction and, uh, um, and when we can do it on camera, it's really special too, because I think it'll help some people. Um, thank you so much, Scott Ryan productions. Um, you know, pick up that moonlighting book. Uh, it's, it's, it's well worth the read. Any of his books are well worth the read and just, uh, investing some time in Scott Ryan is worth, uh, is worth it for sure. That's another episode. We're a little longer today, but I just want to say, uh, how grateful I am to Scott. Thank you so much for taking your time, buddy. Thank you. It was so much fun. Thanks for your kind words. Oh, no problem. Um, that's another episode of HeCast right there. Uh, join me in the uh, community. It's starting to build up now. The HeCast community is building within the app. Uh, we're still a startup, but we're feisty and, and some great things are starting to happen. It's uh, the, 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 the ball is about to start snowballing in a big, big way. And um, yeah, anybody who uh, shares this podcast, we appreciate it very, very much. Subscribe and download the He Changed It app. And we would just uh, love to interact with you as well. Thank you very much for another episode of HeCast, the official podcast of He Changed It. My name is Mike Chisholm. Go change something. <laughs>